My name is Will Burns. This is the IT Superheroes Podcast presented by the Hill Country Tech Guys. Thanks for listening. Mr. Kibbe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do here at Hill Country Tech Guys? So I'm the uh, one of the escalated support technicians up in Dallas. So um, my my daily grind is you know, helping people with higher level issues, problems other techs can't solve, those get sent over to me. And then any of the on-sites for the Dallas clients, they, they send me out for that. And they hired uh, tier twos up in Dallas. That way we, we have the capability to solve every problem Yeah. Um, whenever we get there. So it's, you know, there's nobody else to call. It's like you're there, figure it out, get it done. So, so. how often are you getting sent out to the site? <laughs> It, it all depends. So they're they're opening a ton of new clinics, and I'm involved in that. Mm. Um, every one of those they do, I think they're cranking out one about every six weeks right now. And that takes up two and a half, three days of a week. But that's a that's a known process. It's very we've, – we've got that pretty well nailed down. Gotcha. Um, but to sites in general, I don't know, every two weeks, three weeks. Gotcha. It all depends. Mm-hmm. One, one week I'll have – four days of dispatches and then I won't leave the office for another two weeks and then, you know, one day and then two weeks and then four days. So gotcha. it's all based on client need. So when you go on site specifically for setting up those new clinics, oh, what kind of work are you doing? Um, everything from rack and stacking the network equipment to um, onboarding and configuration of the network equipment, setting up all the computers, setting up all the printers, the phones, um, so when I when I get there, pretty much the only thing that's done is the wiring, that's done by the project mm. team, and so they've mm-hmm. given me the physical infrastructure, and then I just bring, you know, or whoever comes up with all the equipment, we get it all set up. Got so so it, it just comes in boxes, and then you're unpacking the boxes, putting yeah. the computers out. Yeah, everything from unpacking the boxes, putting the computers out, to getting with the end user and saying, hey, this is brand new. Sit down, go through your normal workflow tell me what's broken, um, making sure that we don't leave any issues for the service desk the next day. Gotcha. So do you prefer being in person or remote work? I doesn't matter. You just like it either way. Yeah, it's it's the, the, the in person is kind of nice to be able to, to see because there's there's definitely value in face to face communication mm-hmm. um, as far as, you know, the it, if you're pure remote all the time and all they have is a voice on the end of the phone, the the clients don't really perceive how much we care about solving their problems. But when you're there in person, you're like, okay, I'm going to get this right for you. Let me know how, you know, show me the problem. We're going to get this figured out, um, get it solved. And then ask like, Hey, is there anything else you need while I'm here? You know, that, that customer service is definitely, I think a lot better in person. Yeah. Um, but it's not necessarily, it's not required for everything, um, but a good, you know, good mix. Maybe every once in a while, something that could be done remote. I'll be like, "Hey, send me out for this," because <laughs> you know, I haven't I haven't seen these guys in like six weeks. Like, yeah. send me send me on site. Let them know that I'm actually a real yeah. a real human being. And so. also, get me out of the house, please. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. I uh, the previous job that I had worked there for almost fifteen years, and about two years in. We started going remote, so we went from having uh, uh, maybe 300 people when I first started to when I left, we were re- over 2,000, and the, the, it was either the first or second year that I was a manager. I think the first year we started going remote, so I started out with a full team of people in-house, and then slowly went to half, and then I had like one person. Yeah. who was in-house and eventually it got to the point like when I was a director over there um, that of the three or four hundred people depending on the time of year that were under my management umbrella there was one person in-house out of all of them and you're 100 percent right it's a lot easier to communicate something in person it's just more effective it resonates uh, yeah and there's it's it's not just in my opinion it's not just the, the value of the in person but there's also the 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 water cooler talk that you get mm-hmm. uh, when you're in the office in person and that that really that that can turn into you know very valuable communication when you hear somebody's like hey 
I, I'm fed up with the way this works. It's always, you know, always halfway broken, but they've stopped putting in tickets for it. And you can be like, oh, okay, hang on. Now that I'm, I'm aware of this, let me, let me look into that for you. Um, so there's, there's definitely some value there, but I do like the good blend of, you know, remote plus being on site. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't want to commute. I don't like traffic. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, when, Prior to the pandemic, I was always in the office um, and very, very rarely worked from home. But once the pandemic occurred, uh, I started going, uh, started working at home full time, and I found that I really liked it. But after two years or so, whatever it was, um, I, I, I guess I lost the feel for coming into the office. And so when I started coming into the office here, it felt different, but. After like two days, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I love being in the office, getting to talk to people, getting yeah. to learn. Well, and there's there, there's that trade-off there, right? Because working from home, I found uh, just a little bit of background. Prior to the pandemic, I did a good mix of um, on-site plus, you know, pure kind of at home. I'd, I'd had a really good split between that. And right when the pandemic started, I was at a firm that – their policy was very much if we don't see you at a desk you're not working mm. um and it's that that very old school yeah mentality that that a lot of managers have where if you know if i can't see you it, it doesn't matter how good you're doing how much you're doing it's like if i can't see you you're not working but during uh what i found during the pandemic especially when everything was shut down and there's really nothing else to do i i you know kind of became a little bit of a workaholic because yeah you know, you, you log in 30 minutes early every morning because you don't have to drive to work. And then instead of an hour lunch, you take 30 minutes because your kitchen's right there. And then mm-hmm. you look up and it's 630 and you're like, OK, I've given an extra two hours of overtime today. Like, um, you know, which is which is good and bad because it really upped productivity. But, you know, finding that that balance was, you know, dialing that back um, was a bit of an interesting process. Yeah, for sure. When the pan- when the pandemic first hit, so I, I worked at a uh, inbound tech support call okay. center. So we did not t- like tier point five. Okay. Uh, so it's not full on like tier one work. Password changes. Uh, password changes, basic like we bounce ports. Nothing, nothing major. Okay. Make sure all, make sure that the customer had all their equipment plugged in correctly. Uh, so we did some, or at least for what we what I was managing except for the MSP portion it was a lot of like 0.5 work okay so uh, all the all the stuff that can be you know scripted and you can write a yep. write a run book for it and say okay here you go if you see this follow this that's right that's um, right and then if this doesn't work okay then we kick it up type stuff yep yep okay yeah f- uh, for the most part um, but uh, yes uh, what the fuck was I gonna I mean I lost my train of thought I got uh, so we were talking about working from home. We were yeah. talking about, um, uh, we were talking we about. Were, we were kind of on the value of the the in person, the the value of being in the office, the value of seeing your clients, seeing your coworkers in person, stuff like that. Yep, I lost it. Um, I don't know what I was going to talk about. <laughs> one th- one thing I will add, maybe this will get you get you back a little bit, but that that in person, like being here in the office or, um, you know, going to a client site. It's it's very it's easier to leave work at work. Oh, um, work at work. That's right. When, yes. When you have that kind of thing, because the one of the things I found, and this is you know not just myself, this is my significant other, this is several of my friends. We, you know, you you spend all that time at your home office, and it, it kind of blurred the lines of like when when do you switch that off and go spend time with your family or go go do other things. Um, and so that's one of the good things about, you know, being sent on site for the day. I know, like, okay, like, I'm, it's it's over. It's time to go do something else. Whereas during the pandemic when everything was pure remote 100%, it, it was really easy to to get dragged into that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so that's what I was going to talk about. Thank you. Um, so prior to the pandemic, my wife and I got licensed to foster to adopt. Okay. And I had talked to my boss, who's a VP, well ahead of time, being like, hey, if we ever get a placement, I'll just wake up early and I'll, I'll start working. Just know that, like, sometimes I might need to take some time off. Then a pandemic hit. 
And then we got a placement, and Stephanie works in a hospital. Okay. So, or uh, rather, my wife works in a hospital, so she couldn't stay home with the kids. Uh, so I was at home with the kids, till I would wake up at five, and like every now and then get out, like stop fighting, like <laughs> because both these uh, they were essentially both only children. Yeah. Um, and at that time, it was the busiest that I had ever been at work because due to the fact that we're inbound tech support for for these internet companies, the 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 network is created to only hold X amount of load. So they're yeah. used to people being off of work or, or, or rather being at work most of the day and then you, using not too much internet when they're at home. So like maybe some streaming on Netflix or, oh, yeah. or whatever. But when everybody's working from home all the time, every network, like we're talking fiber, DSL, oh, yeah. cable, we're just overloaded. Well, and they're all like my my understanding of some of that the just the fundamentals of the way those are set up is they they expect a certain capacity and they they oversell capacity obviously yes, because they do they they know or they knew at the time that nobody's really maxing it out um, and so you know they'd sell one hundred and fifty percent of their capacity and when everybody's like okay we're gonna stay home and I'm gonna have three TVs with three different Netflix streams. And then I also have to support a voice call or a VoIP call and an RMM session, which is, you know, pretty heavy two-way traffic. Kids and, playing and then, video games, yeah. transferring a bunch of information. Yeah, and it really did. I, I saw the exact same thing where the first two weeks of the pandemic, everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And then people started, because I've, um, I've got cable internet at the house, which is decent enough. But I can definitely tell, you know, when my neighbors start ramping up their activity. You know, I can I can see the the loss in my network quality, and yeah, it's it that was weird because you know two weeks after everybody went home, when they realized they could turn on their streams and their boss wasn't going to notice because they muted it during a Zoom call, it's like okay, <laughs> we don't have enough internet for this, and especially down in the the residential areas because that's not really that's that's not built out. Yeah, rural the, yeah. areas too. Well, rural, rural and residential, because the you know downtown has hundred gig fiber pipes, mm-hmm. which you're never gonna you're never gonna outrun the ones downtown because they're on the you know the core pipes. But you start getting out into the suburbs where you know they may have a hundred gig connection for a hundred houses and expect it to be shared, you know, and kind of balanced. And it's like, yeah, that's that's not enough. So that was that was a real interesting problem. Yeah, kind of like. Yeah, we saw our our uh, call volume double overnight. Oh yeah, yeah. It, we went from I don't know like fifty, sixty thousand calls a month to like one twenty, one thirty, and we had a hundred forty people or so because we were super efficient, super effective. The team that we built, we built it over a five year period, slowly progressing to get the right people in the right seats. Yeah, like we, we we transitioned a bunch of people out who just weren't a good fit. Uh, yeah. but we had a bunch of competitive folks getting after it, but when you get double the volume and you're running that slim and that tight, I it we were overloaded. And it took like three months or four months to even get close to catching up. Yeah, because people were were coming, or at the time because the. I'm also understand why the government subsidized folks who didn't have a job, but w- when that happened, like we we we'd have people come in, take the training, and then quit. Yeah, that really and that that really kind of hosed the the labor market, but that also created some really interesting opportunities because the the people that actually did have work ethic, did have hustle, did have drive to to grow. I know several people that took that opportunity to get significant pay raises because, you know, mm. a, lo- a lot of firms had the, uh, what is it, the, the 80-20 rule, 80% of stuff gets done by 20% of the people or whatever, yeah, you know, whatever balance, 70-30, 90-10, whatever, whatever two numbers you want to put in there. Yeah. Um, the, the people who really weren't producing in the office that were just kind of riding it out took that opportunity to get the free money, which left opportunities for like hey if you're willing to kick up your workload by 10 20 percent 
you know, you can catch a significant pay raise. Um, a lot of people did that, I know, inside their own firms, but I know a lot of people that took the opportunity to say, hey, if I go over here, I'm going to make $10,000 more. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a very, at least in my experience, my, my peers that do IT on the level that I do, um, a, a lot of us have very similar experiences where, you know, we took that opportunity to, to make that move. Um, but yeah, to the people that came in and, you know, take the training and then quit, like, get out of here, go away. Yeah, no, it was extremely frustrating because I, I built out this big plan. Like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna hire this amount of people because th- these are the numbers that worked before. And like the, the number of people who transitioned out doubled or tripled. It, and we just, it took me, because I'm, was very conservative. I'm trying to make money yeah. uh, for the business unit. It, I ended up shooting myself in the foot because I was too conservative. And then finally, I got to the point where, like, I had to be very aggressive and hire, like I said, like triple the number of people in anticipation that 66% of them would drop out and I would eventually get to my goal. But there, it was the most stressful period of my life. And I also had two kids at home who used <laughs> to be only children. Well, and you also went from – how old are the, the fosters that you got? Uh, so – uh, Ella is seven now. Uh, she was four at the time. She's our biological child. Evan is eight now. Will be nine in October. He was six at the time. Okay, so y'all y'all did get to have that transition from like you know infant to toddler to to child to to you know larger child. You didn't go from necessarily like you know empty nest to here's a seven year old. Oh yeah yeah. yeah yeah yeah. I yeah, can yeah. imagine that would be incredibly incredibly stressful. Yeah, and this, yeah. Uh, if you're like, wait, what happened? I thought you're supposed to be six years old and not creating all these problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it's it's been fun, uh, and he's he's working hard to work through some of the things that that need Good. to get fixed. Um, for the most part, he listens, but when he gets tired, man, like all that stuff comes out. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Like last night, we had to send him home or send him home, send him to bed early because he just. Like for, for whatever reason, he loves to argue. Like he will tell you, like you'll he'll ask you what your favorite color is, and then he'll tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> like I'll be like blue. He's like, no, it's not blue, Dad. Like you like green. I've never said that I've liked green. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So anyway, he, he's fun. So uh, what do you do when you're not working? I like networking with people or like networking as installing a network. No, no, no. So when you're not working, like oh, oh when I'm when I'm not working, um, I'm a huge fan of um, an arcade style video game called Golden Tee. It's a it's a golf game okay. that you play with a trackball. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably play if 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 I get the opportunity to to get out of the house, I probably play three or four rounds of that. Um, that's that's kind of my get get out of the home office, go do that for an hour, and then come back. Um, and then I'm no longer at work; I'm at home now. Um, I go camping uh, as often as I possibly can. Um, also, I, I enjoy shooting, so uh, particularly uh, long range rimfire. So, 22 long rifle, 17 HMR. Okay. At like 300 yards. Nice. Um, yeah. So, uh, where do you shoot at? So, there's there's a couple of ranges in Dallas that I can shoot at. Also, I'm I'm very fortunate that I have access to some private ranges. Mm. Um, which those those are my personal favorite because you just there's no people there. 300 yards, yeah. Yeah. And 22s are so much fun, man. They are. And it's, well, I can't afford to shoot anything bigger. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, with the with prices of everything going through the roof. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and that's, but it's it's fun. It, it's just, it's a blast. But yeah, that camping, um, like I said, golden tea. I, I try to make it a point to, to study for three or four hours a week for whatever the next certification is because I'm, I'm always trying to grow my skill set. So um, that's up there. So what's your next certification that you're shooting for? So the next ones that I'm going for is some of the, the Azure cloud stuff. 
um, starting off with you know 365 identity and services, which is you know basically user administration for 365, and then getting more into the the Azure VM stuff because um, that was actually the prior to coming here. That's the environment that I worked in almost 100% of the time, and I haven't uh, haven't had the opportunity here. The work is a little bit different uh, from what I was doing before, but mm. it's my, my focus is that, that Azure cloud stuff. Gotcha. Uh, so Goldenthe, I'm curious, have, have you ever thought about buying your own Goldenthe Arcade? So the problem with buying your own Goldenthe Arcade is one they won't sell you one unless you have a contract to put it somewhere like um, a lot of them are in sports bars mm. uh, typically um, you know you also see a lot of them a few of them in the uh, what are the big arcades that have like the I'm trying to remember I've not been to an arcade in a while anyways you see them you see them a lot in arcades but they yeah. won't they're they're very particular about who they sell them to, um, and that's largely because uh, a lot of the competitions I'm in are actually money competitions. Oh, and really? So, yes. So there, there's you can win good money doing this. I'm not I'm not good enough to. Um, typically, once a week I'll probably win ten or twelve bucks. You know I probably put thirty. 40 in there and get 10 or 12 back but the because you can compete for money they keep it pretty locked down to where where they're allowed to be um, because they don't want it at somebody's house tampering with the machine obviously you can there, there's ways to, to cheat on that that they're trying to to knock out but also the machine itself costs about $15,000 well yes yeah, so, oh, yeah so even if you found one that was I guess that, that needed repairs it's probably still going to be they get pretty pricey. Well, they, they, they get pretty pricey, and parts for them are, are super expensive. Like the, the trackball itself is in the neighborhood of $500 to $1,000. Um, what? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. one there, like a cue ball, essentially, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit bigger than a cue ball. Like the, the physical ball size is about eh, slightly smaller than a softball, mm -hmm. but you only interact with a very small portion of it. Because it, it only sticks up from the, the game console about this far. Hmm. But you've got a, a surface area about this big. So it makes it somewhere around the size of a softball, if I had to guess. But, yeah, I've, I've, I've had my sights on some. I've tried to buy one. Um, if for no other reason to have it somewhere. Because every time you pay to play the game, the, the Golden Tea people get a couple of bucks. The bar owner gets a buck or two. The guy who owns the machine gets a buck or two. So it's something you can set there and oh. generate yeah. revenue from. Um, and then at that point, you just go and update it and take your money out of it. So how many people are, are, are you competing against? Uh, a typical tournament is 50 people in a tournament. So, But there's, there's easily over 100 tournaments a day, depending on what bracket you're in, what course you're playing. Um, so it's it's by the course and then by your bracket. I think there's four brackets, and then there's like eight or ten. No, there's more than that. There's probably two dozen courses that are in the tournament rotation. So at any given point, that's four hundred simultaneous tournaments, Jesus. and it's just whoever whoever signs in when they get to fifty, there's your tournament, and then you know whoever's number fifty one, well you start a new tournament. So, how long does the tournament take? Is it a full eighteen holes? It's it's full eighteen holes. Um, I've seen it played. Fastest I've seen somebody play eighteen holes and actually be tournament competitive, which is like minus twenty six, minus twenty seven, <laughs> is he can do it in under eight minutes. But it's a very particular course that he's got practice. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, I don't. I I'm not that serious about it. He's, but he. He actually makes more money playing tournaments than he puts into it. So, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea that there were. There's another like small portion of society who is really. Oh yeah. Into golden tea. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, 
And you, so you were also saying that golden tea, my, my, my assumption was that the bar owner bought golden tea and then they would rake in all the money from no, it. But no, that's so that's all handled by there's a um, there's a government agency and it's the same one that handles the little bar top video games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's that handles these money arcades because it's essentially on on some level it is closer to gambling um, mm-hmm. as far as the, the money and taxation is concerned but the standard business model is you know if you're the bo- if you're the bar owner I come to you and I say hey I own a golden tea I want to put it in here we're gonna charge um, most common price is somewhere around four dollars a game so we're gonna charge four dollars a game um, the the developers of golden tea take a certain percentage for every for every game and then the guy who owns the machine gets we'll we'll say if the developers take a dollar and there's three dollars left on the table and i don't know exactly what the split is but this is just to make the math easier if the developer takes a dollar and there's three dollars left on the table then that's typically a 50 50 split with the Mm -hmm. bar owner and the person who owns the machine and what that does is all the repairs, maintenance, new trackballs, updates, because the annual update is very expensive on these machines as well. Um, and they all have cellular internet connections. So that's all paid for by the guy who owns the machine. The bar owner pays for the electricity and obviously the, the space that it's taking up like mm. in, their, in their building. So that's, that's their cost on that. So they each take, we'll call it $1.50 a game. Um, Typical game, most most people I see playing, typical game is probably somewhere around half an hour for two players, um, about an hour for four players. So while it's in use, it's making, I don't know, a buck, buck fifty an hour for both sides. That seems like a hard way to make money, especially if you're having to put in X amount of like thousands of dollars every year. It's 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 a grind, but once once you get in there, so the the places that they're in, they typically get paid or get played for. I would say about six hours a day, and if you're averaging fifteen minutes per person per game, um, that's your four people per hour, or two people for half an hour. So you're making four fifty an hour for six hours. Uh, what's the math on that? Nine times three. $27 an hour and you do that 365 days a year yeah it takes you a while to get back to that that 10 grand but you you get there eventually and at that point you don't have to do anything you have to touch the machine once or twice a year mm-hmm. so the the money isn't in the it's it's kind of that microtransaction thing when you're you know playing farm quest or whatever facebook game that's asking you to to spend 50 cents on this yeah they're not making a lot of money at once but they're doing it 100 times over yeah in in three or four locations because a lot of these a lot of these machines like the guy who owns the one at the place i go to um i've talked to him and he owns probably 100 of these things holy shit and that's at about 100 machines he employs two people full-time to take care of them and he sits back making whatever he makes, you know, left over. But he doesn't have to lift a finger, so it's just passive income. Yeah, it's form. all it's all passive income. So, dang, is he? He must be passionate about golden tea to have that many. Unless he's just a strict businessman. He's 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 a business guy. So he also owns the the bar top video games. Um, he's he does video <laughs> games and vending. He does arcade games and vending. So um, I think he also owns a couple of ATMs around town. And, and so, again, that's that's passive income. Every time somebody touches it, you make a dollar or two. Mm. And, yeah, it takes time to get your money back. But, you know, once it's there, it's there. So, they, you know, getting in a new contract is, is incredibly difficult because, obviously, he's, you know, he's friends with all the bar owners that have all these things, and they know – you know that's that's the guy for it mm-hmm. so kind of a kind of a right place right time thing but yeah it's all pretty much passive income gotcha 
So is, is that what he does full time, or does he have another job? No, that's that's his thing. Is he own he owns this company that has these machines. So that's gotcha. that's his deal. So he's probably there more or less managing the relationships with the bars. Abs- absolutely, yeah. He he goes around once a week, picks up his money, counts it out. Here you go. Here's yours. Here's mine. Here's the report. Moving on down the road. Gotcha. So those tournaments, does it cost money, Danner, or is it just the the four bikes to play or the it's, five bikes it's, to play? It's 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 like a dollar on top of the four bucks. Okay. Um, there there's other tournaments that are more expensive, I think, but uh, it's they they all have some kind of entry fee. Mm-hmm. And so and that's well that's where the prize money comes from, is the number of people that enter and then you know what you can win. Gotcha. So. Yeah, I guess for, uh, I don't know. I'm just blown away that uh, like there's this whole other universe out there. I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, like there's always like I was talking to Travis last week. There's something for everybody. Oh yeah, and I, I just didn't realize that Golden Tea like people really get into it. Oh yeah. Well, so my uh, my handicap right now, as of yesterday, my handicap was like plus seventeen. Um, so that means that my average game is, you know, 17, 18 under. But some of the some of the guys I play with, like, you know, one of my friends, he's a plus 26 handicap. That means every 18 holes he plays, he's 26 under. Jesus. Uh, yeah. So he's almost – well, he's birdieing every hole uh, bird- and then eagling some of them. Uh, birdie or better on every hole. Um, I think it's eagle all the par fives and then birdie everything else. Dang. So, do they ever have like a, uh, you know, like with, I don't know, whatever shoot 'em shoot 'em up games that they've got? They've got huge tournaments. Yeah. Where national level, where they yes. bring in the best of the best, and there's a bunch of money on the table. Is the same they, thing? They they do. Um, I'm not really good enough to to play at that level, so I don't pay much attention to it. But I do know that 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 exists. Um, and traditionally, whoever wins that tournament gets to design a hole that goes onto a course the following year. And so when you when you get to this particular hole in the game, there's a big sign like in the background that says, you know, champion, blah, blah, blah. It's got your name and design a hole and whatever you name the hole, that kind of thing. So So if you're neg so you're seventeen under, is that what you a- said? Ish, somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, seventeen or eighteen under and you're spending an hour a day ish during the week? So five hours a week, at least, of practice. I mean, I, I don't want to do the math and see how much time I actually spend doing <laughs> this, but I'm just it, trying to figure out like, what are these guys doing who are champions? Like, are they spending uh, significantly 15, more? 20 hours a week. Like they just don't uh, have yeah. families, or they do, and I'm, they're now divorced, and all they do is play uh, golden tea. I'm I'm sure they do. Well, there, okay. So there's there's one guy I know in Dallas. Hang on, I'll tell you how many games I've played, and we'll figure out how much time I spent on this. But there's a guy I know in Dallas. Like I said, he can crank out that game in eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another guy I know that can can do a game in ten to twelve minutes and and still be competitive. Let's see. I played one thousand three hundred and five games. So what is that? This is going to be embarrassing. Hang on. Let me figure out how much time that is. <laughs> and that's over how long of a period of time? Um, it's 326 hours. That's yeah, not bad. 13 and a half days. Um, this is over, I think this character is probably seven years old. Uh, okay. So. But I'll go through, I'll, I'll go through stents like right, right now, um, I just did played every course in order and I've got, you know, two or three more to finish the current lineup. And then I'm going to go do something else for a couple of months, you know, not not play for a few months, then I'll come back and start playing again. Gotcha. But so you said your character yeah, is 7 years old. In the game does your character earn skills or so the, 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 the way that works is you don't necessarily level up <coughs> like you would, you know, a character in an RPG or something. Now, you can buy different equipment. There's different sets of clubs, different sets of balls that will behave 
differently depending on the combination that you put together. Mm. And so you can, you know, some people like to play a lot lower lofted, um, you know, less spin. Some people like to play higher lofted. It all depends on, you know, what you, what your style of play is, how you want to approach the hole. Um, but you can you can customize your equipment setup, and then based on your handicap, it tells you which tee box you're in, either, you know, blue, red, yellow, or black. Mm. Um, I think yellow's in there. I what are you? I... If I'm playing by my handicap, I'm on the black tees. Nice. In the tournaments, we always set it to a format called play random tees. Because when, if you and I play in a tournament together, and I use just my stats and you use yours, it'll put you on blue tees, it'll put me on black tees, which will give you like a 30-yard advantage mm. um, as far as being closer to the hole. Uh, when we play it to, to set random tees, it will, uh, it'll put us all on the same tee. And so it may, this hole may be blue, this hole may be red, this hole may be black. But it all forces us to make the same shot. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the format I play because most of the people I play with, we're all around, we're right around the same skill level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically it comes down to, um, like if we're, if we're competing against each other on the game, it comes down to whoever misses their first putt is typically who loses or whoever screws up and puts it in the sand. Um, so we, we really do play to the first mistake, and it's like, Jesus, okay. Yeah. one mistake, and you're yeah. done. Well, we're, we're all chasing that somewhere between 17 and 22 under. Uh, good game, bad game. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So one of my favorite things is you look at it, and every, every hole you look at is a tiny little physics problem. You're like, how – what – what angle do I hit this at? Do I hit it high, medium, or low T? Do I put what spin do I put on it? What do I want it to do when it hits wherever it's going? How hard do I hit it for where it's going? Is that above me? Is it below me? What is the wind doing? Um, is the wind at my back? Is it a side wind? Is it coming straight at me? And so it's it's all. I'm I'm a huge fan of puzzles and problem solving. It's probably what really allows me to excel in ITs because everything mm. we do is, is is a puzzle or a problem to be solved mm-hmm. and they're all especially at the tier two level they're all pretty neat pretty unique you never really get the same problem twice um, at least not very close together with the the golden tee it's the same same kind of thing where each one is its own unique problem to be solved and then you can play the same course twice back to back and you'll get slightly different pin positions. You'll get different wind. Um, they may move the tee boxes to another location. So it's never you're, – you're never really doing the same thing twice. So that's, that's really kind of the most fun part about it. Yeah. I would be interested to see, like, champion golden tee players go play golf for real. Like, in my head, I see them just like – and the ball moves – Three inches or something like that. Yeah, so there's the, I mean, some of the guys I know, um, I, I will play real golf occasionally, um, but we we live in Texas and it's 107 degrees outside, so, you know, color me lazy, but I'm gonna stay in the <laughs> air conditioning for this one. Yeah, uh, I, I play rugby and back in 2012, I want to say that's when we were. 100 degrees for 100 days or something like that. I I remember that summer. I was actually, um, that summer I was a field service technician for a major gas station company. And a lot of my time was spent up on the roofs fixing air conditioners. Oh, really? Yeah, so we'd have to, you'd either be up on the roof fixing the air conditioner or you'd be fixing the, the outdoor part of the cooler. And you'd have to go from, you know, the roof, which is this white vinyl roof that's reflecting you know everything's coming right back at you um and it's probably with all the equipment up there it's probably 120 degrees easy yeah then you got to go down into a cooler that's like 36 and yeah that was that was a rough summer jeez yeah 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 i was gonna say um i play rugby during the summer you have sevens rugby Uh, so that's seven players on each side on a field that's a, a, a 100 
yards long. It's like a football field. Okay. But instead of it being 50 yards wide, it's 75 yards wide. Oh, wow. And it creates a ton of open field play and a ton of action. Yeah. Um, but that day in particular, and also, oh, yeah, so I, sh- I should say also a sevens, it's seven-minute halves, so it's a lot of action. It's really fast. Oh, wow. So you're, you're done after 14 minutes. But that means you play five to seven games in a day if you keep winning. Okay. And w- that day in particular, it started off, it was fine. Like moving things around, slightly humid. It, I mean, I mean it's, it's nowhere near humid like it is on the coast. But yeah, just it was slightly humid. And as the day moved on, it got hotter and hotter. Yep. And then the final, I want to say it was 104 degrees. And when, I, when I walked out onto the field, it was just like a just a weight on me. It yeah. was oppressive heat. And also, back in the back in the day, like as of two years ago, that they, they changed the rule. But prior to two years ago, for whatever God forbidden reason they did it. The final was ten minutes instead of seven minutes, so it was just torture. But so you're out. Was that like a single elimination tournament or a round um, robin? Or? It's uh, so usually it's it's generally bracket playing. Okay. So you've got let's say four teams in each bracket. You play each of those teams. The top one or two teams from each bracket move on to the winners bracket. The bottom two teams go to the losers bracket, and from there, it's it's a single loss elimination. Okay. There's some other ways to so do it. So be like 16 teams? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, at a typical tournament, well, a big tournament, yeah, 16 teams, medium size, more like 8 to 12. And if you're, I guess smaller is more 4 to 8. Okay. But, or really 6 to 8. Uh, but for for the most part, when you get into the elite side stuff, you're, you're typically competing against 12 to 16 teams. Okay. Um, but it, it and for me, man, I I love, I, I don't mind the heat as much, um, but anything above a hundred degrees makes it a lot harder to play. Yeah. Uh, well, I I would imagine staying hydrated is probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, and that's the thing. So just can't drink enough water. You yeah you you can't stop and you can't eat really either because it's about forty five minutes to an hour between each game. Okay. So it's never enough time for your body to digest food. So you gotta bring fruits and just a shitload of Gatorade. Yeah. And that's all you're, you're drinking sugar and like eating oranges or, or bananas, and you can't eat that many because you don't want your, your your stomach to get full. Because I've done that, and then you throw up and you lose all that water. Yeah. Um, so it's a if you want a good way to lose weight, it's a that's how you I, do it. I'm 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 good. I'm I'm happy with my <laughs> current weight. Yeah, but that's that's that supermodel diet where you're like, okay, I can have two slices of banana with a pecan in between them. That's right. It's the only thing I can eat all day. Yeah, and it sucks yeah, because no. like you you're pl- you're generating or you're you're burning all this energy because you're generating all this force and you're tackling people. Or you're getting up. You're sprinting 50 meters. You tackle somebody. You get up. You sprint back another si- to the other side. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm I'm, I'm good on that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it man, it's I don't know. It, that's the most fun. I played a bunch of sports. And by far, sevens is my favorite. Do you uh, still play? Yeah, good. Fifteenth, uh, well, more or less, I played fifteens now. I broke my ankle, tore all my, my ligaments last at the end of June last year, and. I put a hamper on things, and I had to make some. Uh, con- I, I I I had to meet my wife in the middle because she was like, "I don't think you can play rugby anymore." I was like, "How about I don't play sevens?" Because that's where I got hurt, and it's the first time that I. This summer was the first time I hadn't played rugby in the summer for fifteen years, sixteen years. So so fifteens is that is that pace of play? Just do, do people. I guess they naturally play slower because you don't have. Yeah, there's a lot more focus on strategy and skill. Sevens. So if if you look at it from an international stage, fifteens, America gets its ass kicked 
all the time. Even though we've got tremendous athletes, we're always getting our ass kicked. We lost to fucking like Uruguay, and I don't even know if we're going to go to the the the, the, the uh, rugby World Cup this year, okay. which is terrible. But on sevens, we actually win some of the tournaments. The, the so for for international sevens, there's a big tournament throughout the year. So you have like eight to 12 tournaments throughout the year, and then whoever wins the most points is the champion. Um, over the last several years, we've gotten a lot better, and I think we've won two or three tournaments. So it shows you the the athleticism in sevens makes a big difference. Yeah. Whereas 15s, like I said, it's skill, um, it's, it, it's, it's strategy, and most Americans in general who are playing rugby play football growing up, played baseball, played soccer. Yeah. There, there weren't rugby players as kids, whereas the rest of the world, like, they've got a rugby ball in their hand from the time, like, they could stand up. Yeah, we, we really don't have any, like, because you, you think about everybody, like, being a football player, a basketball player, like, those are the sports that we have in schools. We really don't have rugby in any schools, do we? Uh, very few. There's gotten to be more recently. Okay. When I was in high school, I don't think that there were many at all. So I graduated in 2002, and I, I wasn't even really aware of rugby at the time. I'd seen some people play I, it I, I on knew TV. What it, I knew what it was because I have an, an uncle who played rugby when he was a younger man. Really? Um, yeah. So he, he played for a while. Um, and so I, I was aware of the fact that it existed as a sport, but that was just – that, that was the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, yeah, uh, and until I started playing, it was that was the extent of my knowledge as well. So I was 21 when I first started playing, but prior to that, I would I really wanted to play football. I was obsessed with football. Um, I didn't play in college initially because I didn't go because of my girlfriend, and it was just a poor decision on my part. Actually, maybe in the long run, better because I don't have as many brain injuries. But uh, so, uh, 21, I worked out all summer. I would work out till I threw up, and this was after building scaffolds in full FRCs and oh, like, wow. b- uh, boots and everything. So I was worn out all the time, and I started. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was overtraining. I got it started getting weaker, started getting slower, I was more rigid. I was like, "What is happening?" So I worked out even harder. <laughs> By the time I went to um, the not the training camp, but the, but the tryouts, I ran like a four seven forty. I couldn't move. I didn't make the team. Um, but I took a few weeks off, drank a bunch of beer, and my buddy was like, "Hey, we should go try out for rugby together." All right, let's go. And, man, the first practice, I was like, this is what I should have been doing my whole life. And it's just, it doesn't happen very often when you do something and you know, like, this is it. Like, yeah. This is what I've been, been preparing for, playing soccer, baseball, football, you name it. Um, and then from there, like, it just, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I've, that's where my best friends are. And, and. And to this day, like, I really I wish I could play full-time. But back then, we didn't have a pro league. That, um, but if they did, I totally would have – well, I guess my, my, my life would have been a lot yeah, different. Yeah, is there is, – I mean, is there a pro rugby league here? There is now. There is yeah. now? Okay. Yep. Uh, there's one – there's a team in Austin who actually did really well. They were number one in their league this year. However – my understanding of it is that there's a salary cap and the owner of that team was kind of moving numbers around so that they could little, bring little, in more and pay people more. A little, little creative financing. Yeah, so he owned two teams, yeah, the uh, L.A. team and the Austin team. And he had creative financing in both. So both teams got eliminated or, or rather DQ'd, and they were the two best teams oh, wow. in the league. Yeah. Uh, so it, not a good look for the league. And what the stupid thing is, if he would have just waited until after the playoffs to sell his team, no one would have known. Because that's mm. that's the only reason he, he decided to sell the team right before the playoffs. Um, and so the league was like, all right, let's get all your finances. Let's see your books. 
And they were like, wait a second. Hang What's on. going on here? Hang on. That that car that you're renting that guy for a dollar a month looks like <laughs> yeah. uh, looks like it might actually be some some unreported income there. That's that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I, that, that, and the thing is, is that the the NLR didn't give specifics. They just generalized it, and so all the fans were like, "What the fuck? Please <laughs> tell us what's going on." But they're being they're keeping it all close to the. To, to the best. Well, and that's, I mean, they, I, I guess they really have to do that. But my, my question is, like, these, these professional rugby players, like, is this all they do for a living? Or do they have to have uh, day In jobs? America, they've got to have – well, some of them don't have to have secondary jobs. But, I mean, the best of the best in America are probably making ninety to 100000 okay, Most so. guys are making thirty-five or forty. Uh, okay, so they're 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 making decent money, but not not like what we would consider no. for all the other the pro athletes. No, uh, you go overseas, you go to England, New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland, Scotland. Uh, all those team, all, all those guys are making or can make a, a lot of money. It's still not soccer money, because the soccer money. Some of those guys are making like fifty million dollars a year, yeah. which is insane. But I, I, you know, I don't watch rugby that much just because I like my family. Yeah, <laughs> and I try to spend time with them. Uh, but I want to say, like, there there might be a few guys who are making more or in that eight to ten million dollar range. But most of them, most of the pro athletes and like the 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 super fifteens, like the biggest teams, are making 150, 200 k maybe. Okay. Um, so they're not living extravagant lifestyles. Like it's a true passion. Yeah. For most of these guys, I mean, it's a paycheck. Don't get me wrong, but like these guys are doing it because they love the game. Yeah. And it really it it, it shines through in that aspect. Well, and you're not. It, yeah, you're making. You know, that's 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 pretty good money. But for, I, I would imagine that the physical toll is very similar to football, where yeah, you know, you're 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 wearing out your body, and you've got a very limited lifespan. To, to actually make money and you have to do it all within you know most professional athletes have careers of what five to seven years yeah if they're if they're lucky and if then some of them are, who are really lucky can make it till they're like 35 others who are extremely lucky make it till they're 40 yeah but it's like one out of how many millions of people who well, play that, the game yeah and then you've you know you've been out of the job market for the last so long and you're yeah. like okay your only Weird. discernible skills are rugby. So I hope you're able to talk to other people yeah. about rugby and have that skill transfer from you to other people. Otherwise, like you're up a shit, or you're, you're 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 really up a creek. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, that's what. But but that's the thing is that I don't. Know, and it's fun. And I can't remember if I talked to you about it before, but the uh, I wish. I mean, as much as I enjoy rugby, I kind of wish I had a different – wish I'd have been passionate about a different hobby or been a musician or something like that because yeah. at 38, like physically, I'm just not what I was when I was 26 or 28. I'm just yeah. blowing people up or blowing through people, um, causing them to like – like half their body goes um, – not paralysis, but like – the stinging sensation because yeah. I have guys come up to me afterwards like, "Oh my God, I've never been hit that hard in my life, and I played football for X amount of years," and that was fun. It was so much fun. But like, I'm 38 now, and I still work out all the time, and I still all I'm doing is just slowing down the decline. And to know that I'm not getting any better, no matter how much effort or time I put into it, is disheartening. Yeah, because when as when you're when you're a teenager, when you're in your early 20s, you're like, I'm always going to get better. Like, I'm putting work in this year, this time next year. I'm going to be X, X percent better. I'm going to learn these skills and be that much better. But at 38, I'm like, I hope I don't lose X amount of strength. And yeah. it's just a, it's a different mentality. And it's a <laughs> sometimes it makes me depressed. That's why I'm like, I wish I'd have been a musician because if I was 38 years old and I was – playing the guitar I'm like I'm gonna get better like if I keep working at it or w whatever yeah. it is 
or or even like jujitsu. It's just a that's a sport that you can continue to progressively get better at. So I just got into it now. I wish I'd have done it when I was like eighteen. Yeah, but anyway, um, what else was I going to say about that? Uh, but anyway, it's it's still a fun. Uh, I, I highly recommend any person to look into rugby, play rugby. I used to tell other people my age that sure you can just hop in and do it but after i broke my ankle it's like it doesn't all it takes is just one 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 screw up because i was i i had pulled my hamstring and i was still playing because my my hamstrings fucked up but well and we're 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 at that age now where you know any injuries become a little bit more permanent yeah 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 you, you 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 break your ankle when you're a kid and it's it's not a big deal um you know, like case in point, I broke my collarbone when I was 20, 21, and that only took maybe a year for full recovery for my shoulder to go from, you know, the day I broke it to, you know, right back at that place for the bone to heal and, mm-hmm. you know, get everything back. But I'm thinking to myself, like, at, at this age, and I'm, you know, right there pushing 40 with you where, you know, if I break my collarbone today, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a long time before it, you know, gets back to, to where it was, even if it does. Yeah. So... Yeah, and for me, it's no, no. Actually, straight up, I'm not as strong as I was prior to breaking my ankle. Because prior to breaking my ankle, I had like a 50 inch box jump. Yeah. And now I can't even jump on my. So I, I built a box at home. It's 32 inches long. So you're, when t- it's you're down. T- you're telling me 42 when it's tall. From standing flat, you could jump four foot two inches in the air and land on that box. Not f- so. Not straight legged. Okay. So that would be like a. A, a, a 50 inch vertical okay so I've got like a or used to have like a 32 or or a, a, a 33 inch vertical okay so box jumps you bring your legs up and put them and I, I've, I've, I've never been flexible yeah. but I was able to bring my feet up and hit 50 or f- the highest I think I ever did was like 52 or 53 inches oh wow uh, yeah, but yeah. now I don't even know if I can do 40 and <laughs> the thing is like I've been working my ass off yeah and i'm a long ways from that 50 inches i can barely like i said i don't think i can get to 42 because i've got this box that when it stands up like this it's useless to me (laughs) oh i've got to stack weights on my 32 inch platform and even that i'm not as confident i'm just i lost that explosion it's just it's gone yeah i don't know depressing how much time do we got three minutes (laughs) all right well i ask a question to everybody if you had the opportunity to bring back dinosaurs would you do it man i okay so i i really like my inner kid wants to say hell yes let's do it but i think we've got several movies (laughs) one or two of them are actually pretty good um, most of them are, are, are pretty campy and cheese, but we've got several movies of uh, one Jeff Goldblum explaining why that's a really bad idea. <laughs> like that's now, if you want to give me like an animatronic dinosaur that I can ride around, like you know, big like Tesla powered T Rex that I can run down the highway, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> but like actual lip, no, no, that's that's no. at least it's not a full no. You're like animatronic T Rex, Mo- well. I think we've had a good run of yeses. It's about time we had a no. I just I, I don't I, I I'm I'm with the 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 Dr. Malcolm character on all the Jurassic Park movies. Like this is just a bad idea. What about herbivores? Still a bad idea. Don't you want to see a brachiosaurus or an andiosaurus? Just these the biggest land animals that have ever been in existence I'm, I'm i'm good i can i can see him in my imagination i've seen plenty of fossils like i'm i'm, I'm okay with that so it's like going to like seeing the grand canyon in pictures and yeah. then seeing it in person it's just a completely different no experience. and i get i like I, I i don't disagree with that but i'm just i'm gonna stick to my no like damn it i'm not gonna let you okay. bully me into a yes on that one <laughs> i feel like i know what your answer is but <laughs> yeah yes uh any parting words uh, not that I can think of. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me today. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right.
Hill Country Tech Guys offer best-in-class support and aim to provide a world-class customer experience for each and every one of our clients. We offer managed IT support, cybersecurity tools and consultation, along with the ability to handle all of your project or infrastructure needs. If you are interested in learning more, please visit our website, YouTube, or social media pages.